0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This is MPB News.
2: Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, March 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, more action in the Senate Corrections Committee as the legislature approaches another deadline. Then the latest on how the state health department is handling the coronavirus. Plus, the next installment of our 50th anniversary series, a conversation with Peter Zaplital. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Lawmakers on the Senate Corrections Committee are working to pass legislation to help revamp Mississippi's prison system ahead of today's deadline. Deadly violence in recent months and the deaths of more than 20 inmates has driven state officials and lawmakers to take action. Prison officials have moved inmates out of Parchman's dilapidated Unit 29, where much of the violence occurred. Proposed Senate Bill 2684 would increase the number of offenders housed in regional jails and the per diem paid by the state. Democrat Juan Barnett chairs the Senate Corrections Committee he tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the well-known poor conditions at Parchman require attention.
1: Well, right now, everyone understands the conditions that we are faced with at Parchman and other places. And that's the reason why the correction, I mean, why the regional jails will be used as an option as we go forward uh, to make sure that we do place those individuals in the best facilities that we can place them in. Because we know that moving everyone from one facility, to maybe the state facility, we may have, we, we may not have the capacity to accommodate those individuals. So we want to make sure that we have the capacity, wherever it may be, uh, to house these individuals until we can um, um, decide on what we're going to do for them.
3: Do you want to see parchment closed?
1: No, I don't want to see parchment closed. Uh, I would like to see some of the... Um, facilities at, at Parchment, you know, uh, renovated and things like that. Uh, but we do know that we cannot close Parchment um, uh, because of we have to keep it open, if nothing else, for just the death row inmates. But I think that there are still facilities there, and I think there's some great people that work there, and so just closing it, no, I'm not in total agreement with that at all.
3: There was a bill, trustee and earn time program changes. What does that mean?
1: Well, what it means is that those individuals, we can, you know, if, you, if you're if you in there working and doing things, it makes it better on the individual to know that they're working for something because the time that they're working in there can be used for either trustee status or, or earn time, release time. And, those. and so we just understand that we can't ask individuals to be model prisoners if we don't, give them something to work for. We have to let them know that that, that we are creating an environment to give them something to that, that they can earn it, they can see the fruits of their labor. No more than you and I, you know, we get up and we go to work every day. We want to see something good as a result of that. And that's the same way I know a lot of these inmates do. And so that's why that's what this bill addresses.
3: That means that whatever they do as trustees, they can earn time or earn credit towards being released?
1: It does, and, and it also for those individuals who may not have wanted to do anything but just sit there and now can say, you know what, if I get up and go to work and do these things, then that helps me. And so that's what we're trying to get those inmates to do is it's not only better themselves when they're in there, but getting them ready to better themselves when they're out as well and letting them know that, hey, hard work will shall pay off. And that's, that's what we're trying to do.
3: And there was an amendment mentioned about sex offenders.
1: Yes, uh, and you know, that's, that's one of those areas where we... What's the issue? Well, the issue is I don't think that, that there has been legislation in the past or even up today that, that fully addresses the sex offender deal here. You know how Mississippi is. And,
3: in uh, terms of getting out early or earning time towards getting out?
1: Well, there's just been so many things that has happened as a result of that. And and I can understand people having, having, because when you talk about sexual offenders, you know, some of this involve minors. And so uh, some people will have some reserve with that, and, and that we can understand.
3: In your mind, as you move forward looking at bills, what bills really concern you that you want to see come out of this committee to do something about corrections?
1: All of them. There's not a one bill that I've passed out of corrections committee that I did not think was good for the Department of Corrections, or for offenders, or whomever it may affect. So all of the bills that has been passed out of my committee, I think are important. None more important than the other. I think they all uh, do some good in their own perspective areas, so all of them have been good bills.
2: Democrat Juan Barnett chairs the Senate Corrections Committee. The Corrections Committee has also passed a measure that would allow nonviolent offenders with debilitating conditions to be placed on medical release, regardless of time served. Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula offered the amendment. He also tells our Desiree Frazier the amendment to, the, to exclude sex offenders from the good behavior measure simply reinforces current law.
4: Uh, and the amendment put the law back to what current law is. Currently, sex offenders are not allowed to get earned time and trustee time. Neither are uh, life people sentenced to life uh, or habitual offenders. Okay, so what the amendment did was to put it back to current law that sex offenders don't get that.
3: Now, there were a couple of bills that have passed that deal with geriatrics. Um people who are ill and older. Your thoughts on that?
4: Well, look, um, the the bills that I've seen, even in my committee, we passed one that has that language in it. Geriatric parole is people who who are over 60, I I think, 60 years old and have served at least 10 years, um, then they can come up for parole. And the reason for that is you get to that age, you know, the health conditions and things like that, Um, and the reality is they're probably not going to be a danger to society after serving at least 10 years. Again, it goes to the parole board. So that's what you're seeing. These are all, um, I guess, uh, issues to address in light of what's going on in MDOC.
3: Anything that I didn't ask you that's important to mention about this issue?
4: Um, Just on the whole corrections issue that's going on, it's the legislature recognizes what's going on here we're trying to do it but we're trying to balance public safety with uh, the concerns and the issues that we're seeing um you know this is i don't think anybody really expected this would be the issue that has come up but it is and that's why we're here to deal with it and you know as i've repeatedly said i think to you and to others we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to fix it all in this session it's not going to the things that we do are going to take some time and um, we just have to be aware of that.
2: Senator Bryce Wiggins from Pascagoula is a member of the Corrections Committee. The committee also amended a bill to allow the search for a new Department of Corrections commissioner to include candidates with less formal education. The original statute, or statute required applicants have at least a four-year college degree. Coming up, the latest on how the State Health Department is handling the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your Smart Devices podcasting platform.
3: This is
1: MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The Mississippi Department of Health is remaining vigilant as the coronavirus continues to spread across the country. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says he's especially concerned about how the virus affects older, sicker populations. He tells our Desiree Frazier the state already has activated parts of its pandemic response plan, which contains guidance and recommendations on how to prevent spread of contagious diseases.
0: We are seeing a a marked increase in coronavirus, especially in the United States. You know, there have been massive outbreaks within China and Southeast Asia, but we're learning so much more as time has gone on. Unfortunately, now there have been six deaths in in Washington state. And one of the things that's that's very concerning, kind of similar to flu viruses we've seen before, is that it seems to be impacting um, older folks with chronic medical ind- conditions more severely than, say, younger folks. One of the good things is it seems to be very few cases and, and especially very limited um, severity of illness, at least that we can see in younger kids, like children and teenagers. Um, but but it's really it's getting closer to Mississippi, and so we are watching it very closely. We've been working very closely with uh, MEMA and the governor's office, trying to make sure that Mississippi is prepared. We actually do have a pre-existing pandemic response plan that has elements of control and response that account for a lot of these issues. And so we're looking to, and we've already implemented some of the early components of that. So be looking for more, we're going to activate the elements of our pandemic response plan.
3: And what does that mean when you have elements of a plan? What do you tell people in those instances?
0: Yeah. So it's a a series of guidance, recommendations, um, and then interventions that we can do to limit spread. And some of it may be, you know, figuring out when do you quit doing community gatherings, when do you do um, uh, uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions such that, you know, people practice social distancing, you're less likely to spread the virus, Um, working on what do you do in healthcare systems to make sure that you don't spread it, because it's spread from person to person. And, And if we can limit people's transmissibility from one person to the other, then we can really slow it down. So there are things and strategies in place that we can activate that will limit Transmission and some of it's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be you know washing your hands frequently. It's going to be using hand sanitizer. It, and one of the most important things is please stay home when you're sick. You know if you're if you're ill you can spread it to your coworkers. And then working with businesses and schools and, and government agencies to make sure that if people are sick they can they can stay home. Or if we have transmission within the community we look to um, make sure that um, uh, they can work from home. All these sorts of things. There's lots of strategies that transcend vaccines and medications that we can do to slow the virus down.
3: In the case in Washington State, um, it was at nursing homes. How do you deal with that if, as it gets closer to the Mississippi?
0: Yeah. So um, we're actually very familiar with working with working on outbreaks within nursing home settings. Um, every year we have multiple flu outbreaks or even GI illness outbreaks within within uh, con- congregate settings like long-term care. And we have a whole series of interventions we can do where we restrict visitations, we restrict, um, you know, communal meals and that sort of thing. We do enhanced, um, you know, sort of monitoring and and sanitization and hygiene. So those things work very well. The only things that we don't have right now, unfortunately, are going to be the medications and the vaccines. But hopefully those will be here um, before too long, but probably not soon enough to help us right now.
3: And what are the symptoms?
0: The symptoms of coronavirus are are pretty much typical to a bad case of the flu, at least from what we've seen. Fever, cough, congestion, fatigue, um, that's going to be seen, you know, pretty typically. But sometimes people get a lot sicker and they will go on to develop like a pneumonia, which is going to be essentially almost like kind of fluid filling the lungs. And that's going to be the folks who get really sick and maybe have to stay in the intensive care unit. that's what we've seen so far, but I think as it evolves the United States, we'll get a better sense of the full spectrum of disease.
3: And we've heard that there's no point in using a mask unless you already have it?
0: Yeah, there's um, there's really no u- utility to using a surgical mask unless you're sick. So what a surgical mask is for, if someone's sick and they're coughing and maybe they can get you know infectious droplets out, it kind of contains them so they don't get out into the environment. Um, in the healthcare setting, if you're taking care of someone who is sick, um, the, it's preferable to wear like these N95 masks that fit your face tightly and prevent any air coming around. But, but for the general public, uh, unless you're sick or left unless you're in a healthcare environment taking care of sick folks, there's really no utility to using a mask.
3: And we're hearing about in some areas of the country a run on paper products, a run on the masks and different things. How should people move forward on this?
0: Yeah, you know, like, like any sort of preparation, some of the basic stuff, right? So prepare in case you get sick, almost like if you got the flu. Make sure that you have enough medications to last in case you were out of work or so for a week. Make sure you have enough food and, and, you know, supplies for several days in case you had to stay home or if you had to work from home. Um, there's no reason to panic and, and clear the shelves, but, you know, just keep get enough stuff at home such that if you had to stay home for a few days, especially if you were ill or if a family member were ill, that you wouldn't have to be running around back and forth to the store. Although nowadays with some of the uh, online options, I I think there's more available to us.
2: Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer. Coming up, the next installment of our 50th anniversary series, a conversation with Peter Zaplatel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Puppeteer Peter Zaplatal came to Mississippi Educational Television in 1971, one year after the agency was launched. 32 years and a case full of Emmys later, he retired from Mississippi Public Broadcasting after guiding television programming through milestone achievements like Clyde Frog and Dr. Tick Tock. He recently sat down with us to share his journey from Czechoslovakia to Jackson.
5: Czechoslovakia at that time was kind of a leader in puppetry. Why? Why? Because it goes back to 1800s. There was, in 1800s, 1848, actually, there was one of the first revolutions, and uh, there came kind of a renaissance of bringing back the original, the home language, the language of the people rather than the language of uh, the government. So there were puppeteers who performed in Czech and they toured through uh, Bohemia and they were promoting the Czech language. And uh, in 1920s, there started a really big push toward the puppetry. I'm not sure why. I already asked a friend of mine who is a researcher, because many sports clubs, in uh, addition to being sport people... <laughs> They were also doing puppets. Well, that's interesting. I know, and it doesn't make much sense, but. There it is. That, that's <laughs> uh, what it was. How <laughs> did you get from Slovakia
2: to New York to Mississippi? Okay, my parents,
5: my brother, and I were living in Slovakia. Okay. Uh, my. Mother had a large family, and they all disappeared. And during well, they all died uh, during the Holocaust. And only my mother and one of her cousins survived. My mother's cousin, during the war, ran away to the West and ended up serving in uh, uh, Royal uh, Air Force. And he came back in 1948 and he went, uh, he left for New York. That's where he lived, had his family. But because my family did not have anybody in Slovakia or Czechoslovakia, uh, my father felt like it would be much better if our family could join my uncle in New York. All so, right, so
2: you, you end up in New York. Did you speak English?
5: Uh, well, do I speak now? Well, did you? Well, <laughs> yes, you do.
2: But I'm just wondering. Yeah. All right, so Mississippi, mm. uh, which is then what? ETV. Right. How do they find out about you, and how do they hire you?
5: Okay. Uh, Yes, I spoke a little English that I studied in high school, and then I came uh, to New York, and I took a lot of uh, classes, English classes. Then I started to build my own puppet theater that we toured through New York schools, And we ended up performing at the National Festival of the Puppeteers of America that was held in Storrs, Connecticut. Interestingly enough, that's now one of the largest schools of puppetry. Oh, (laughs) that is interesting. Yeah. We got a really nice review. You know, you really have to be there when it happens. In a sense, we were there on a day when a reporter from New York Times came to see the shows. (laughs) (laughs) Timing is everything. Yes. And uh, he saw our show. He was impressed. He wrote an article. And uh, the organization that was putting on the festival also had a magazine, and now what was happening at the same time, Mississippi Educational Television came out on the air, and they saw the power of puppets because the Muppets were already part of the broadcast. So because the leading task for the Mississippi ETV was of course education. So management here, uh, Bill Smith, who is still around, uh, was the executive director, uh, had the idea of, uh, well, maybe we should have an in-house puppeteer. So they were uh, advertising through this puppetry journal. And as as a good member, I read everything, including the ad. I wrote back. I was invited to come in for an interview, and that was like in December. And by uh, February 1, 1971... I was here as a staff member.
2: Were you the only puppeteer? Oh, yeah. And how long How okay. long did that go before they hired another puppeteer?
5: Oh, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> they never did. You were the puppeteer. Uh,
2: yes. What would people remember 50 years ago, what characters did you create? <laughs> <laughs> that,
5: that are memorable. That I remember. Well, probably the only people who remember something, and they do remember. Uh, first of all, it's uh, Clyde Frog. Clyde Frog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's
2: down in a case down the hallway. Right.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, you weren't relegated just to puppets. You did a lot of other educational well, related jobs.
5: Correct. I was moving up, but at the same time, I was doing my old job. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, some of the moves were like producer, director, executive producer, and only then at the end I moved into a director of production. But I still kept my eyes on productions with puppets. And that's the time when we did uh, Funny Bones and the Tick Minutes. Dr. Tick Tock. Correct. Tick Tock, Tick Tock.
2: Peter, you are the pioneer puppeteer for MPB or ETV, <laughs> as we said. Peter zapatal thank you so much for coming in and oh, sharing some stories with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
4: The minutes multiply, turning into hours and to days, which is why 60 seconds make a minute, 60 minutes make an hour, 24 hours in a day. As time keeps tick-tock ticking away, bye-bye for now.
2: Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio.